Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Daniel 9, verses 1 through 3. So in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descendant of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the Lord, the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Olivia. Well, uh, good morning, Harvest. Uh, welcome to those of you here and those who are at home, missing those of you who can't be here, but know there are a variety of reasons uh, why you can't. Um, many of you are probably familiar with Archimedes' principle. Maybe you didn't like science class in high school, so you wanted to forget all that. Uh, but Archimedes' principle says this, the buoyant uh, upward force acting on an object is equal to the weight downward force of the displaced fluid. I'm not actually here this morning to unpack Archimedes' principle, but rather it's interesting the story of how Archimedes discovered this principle. Uh, The validity of the story of Archimedes' discovery is debated, but this is how the legend is told. Uh, Archimedes was charged with proving that a new crown made for the king of Syracuse was not pure gold as the goldsmith had claimed. Archimedes thought long and hard, but could not find a method for proving that the crown was not solid gold. Soon after, he filled a bathtub and noticed that water spilled over the edge as he got in, and he realized that the water displaced by his body was equal to that, uh, to the weight of his body. Knowing that gold was heavier than other metals, the crown maker could have substituted in. Archimedes had his method to determine that the crown was not pure gold. And he was so excited, he forgot that he wasn't dressed, and he ran out naked into the streets shouting, Eureka! Eureka means, I found it! And actually, as we come to this passage this morning, Daniel has a Eureka moment. Certainly, uh, he was a bit more modest, uh, than Archimedes was, but he has this moment that he finds that's far more significant than Archimedes' principle. Daniel discovered that there was an end in sight for his people. Remember the context here. So Darius is now the one in charge. uh, And so that means that this is happening somewhere around chapter six uh, in the lion's den. It may have happened before, it may have happened after, but at this time in Daniel's life, he's at least in his 80s, possibly his 90s. He had been in captivity for almost 70 years. He and all of his people, Think about that, 70 years, 70 years. There's very few, if any people, 
in this room that have lived 70 years, and he had been there for 70 years. We've grown exhausted uh, uh, over uh, all that's going on for the last seven months. Imagine 70 years. These people had lost their homes. Some lost friends and family members. Most had become slaves. They were taken from their land, forced to submit to different rules, no vacations to go back, no seeing the homeland, and it had been almost 70 years beaten down again and again and again. And Daniel makes a discovery as he is in God's word that leads him down a path of prayer for his people. So this morning, we're going to look at five lessons that we learn from Daniel's example. Look at your Bibles in verse 2. It says, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel got a revelation from the word of God. He has a eureka moment. Even though he has a pattern of prayer, we knew he had a pattern of prayer where he prayed three times a day. We learned that in chapter 6. But Daniel was studying God's word. What was he likely studying? He was likely studying in the book of Jeremiah as he references Jeremiah and look at Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. It says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord. Make the land an everlasting waste. How that would have been encouraging to Daniel in the midst of everything that he had been seeing in the midst of 70 years, nearing the end of 70 years, and he reads, wait a minute, this was talked about before. There's hope for us. And then also Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So Daniel didn't actually get some new revelation. Daniel was reminded of a promise that was made. Daniel's revelation came out of personal time in God's word. We need reminders of God's promises and we need a fresh revelation. We don't need a fresh revelation of something new. We need a revelation of something that's true and it's found in the word of God. So when we spend time in God's word, we're reminded of promises. Because when we spend time in God's word, it opens our eyes to truths about God. It brings peace and hope and direction and insight and wisdom. Why? Because we're reminded of the promises that God has made. 
Archimedes didn't come to his eureka moment uh, just because he was busy doing stuff and all of a sudden he had an idea. No, he was working, he was thinking about it. And all the more, how did Daniel come to the knowledge of this? He was spending time in God's word, studying it, reading it, meditating on it. He was focusing on it. That's so why we need to spend uninterrupted time in God's word because when we neglect this discipline, we miss some things. We can miss the rescue of God because there's truth in God's word that warns us to not do certain things that prevent us from calamity and sin and destruction. And so we, we miss the rescue of God when we don't spend time in God's word. We miss the glory of God because we have a God who has revealed himself. We don't have to climb some mountain, some far off place to find God. No, God came in the flesh and his name was Jesus. And he's revealed himself to us and he's revealed himself to us in his word. And we miss his glory. We miss intimacy with him. We miss the hope that knowing God brings when we don't spend time in his word. I mean, think about, think about if you were just to spend time in Psalm 23 this week. This is the beginning of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm sure many of us experience wanting. And we need a shepherd to guide us. We're wondering if we're safe. It says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Don't we want still waters right now? doesn't feel like things are just churning and turning and, and, and everything seems to be uncertain. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why would we fear no evil? It says, because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He's got a rod and a staff that he uses to protect us, to deliver us. And we could go on in that. And that's just the first four verses of Psalm 23. And look at all of the hope and the promise that's there. That's why we... We want to spend time because God reveals himself as we spend time in his word. God, you want a revelation from God? Spend time in his word. Now, Daniel's study didn't just bring him to a place of, oh, I learned something. I can put a badge on because I learned something. No, what he learned turned him to pray. Daniel's study moved him to pray, and Daniel moved himself to the place where he prayed, and he humbly confessed the sin of his people. Look at verse 3. It says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So Daniel, this is intense prayer. I mean, fasting, he's, he's saying, I want to be in God's presence more than I want to eat. I need spiritual sustenance more than I need physical sustenance. That's what Daniel is saying. And sackcloth and ashes, that's not something we're kind of typically familiar with, but putting on sackcloth would have signified a godly grief, a sorrow. And putting on ashes means, you know, complete ruin. I mean, when you think about when you burn wood and it's burned all the way down and all you have left is ashes, obviously the wood is no good anymore. It's completely ruined. 
And so he's, he's in this place where he's, he's addressing the reality and the seriousness of sin in his own life and in the lives of his people. And it goes on. Look at verse 4. It says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You can't see it from the the English, but in the original, they're using the, the term for Lord is Yahweh. That's it's the only place where we kind of see God's name in the original text where God's name is written down in this way, signifying that Daniel is being reverent. He, he's humbled before God. He doesn't want to casually address God. When you're in the presence of somebody of greatness, you don't go, hey, dude, how's it going? In fact, you shouldn't say, hey, dude, how's it going? If you're a young person here and you're with someone of respect or someone that's older than you, you shouldn't address them, hey, dude, how it's, how's it going? No, we address someone in authority with, with a title. And the greatest title that this individual could be addressed is his name. Because he's reverencing God. And as he goes to pray, there is a contrast for Daniel because he sees his great and awesome God, as it says here in the text, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. But then there's now going to be a contrast. So he sees God. He has a picture of God. And then it's in contrast with an unholy people. Because in verse 5, he says, we have sinned. We have done wrong and acted wickedly in verse 5 and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. But take note, friends, he doesn't start with, I'm just a filthy sinner. No, he starts with seeing God. And even throughout this prayer that he prays, there's some highlights of things that Daniel had observed about God over 70 years of In verse 7, he says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. In verse 9, if you jump down, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. In verse 15, it says, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. In verse 16, O Lord, according to your righteous acts, Daniel is aware at the beginning and throughout about God. Friends, our awareness of sin in our own lives should not come from our comparison of others. We shouldn't be looking at this individual and thinking, oh, they're really great. I'm not great. That's how I value my sin. Or we shouldn't value our righteousness. Oh, I look at this individual. I must, I'm not like them, so that's, I must be better than them, so maybe, maybe I'm not that bad. No, we understand our sinfulness because we get a picture of the holiness of God. Our awareness of sin comes from our affirmation of God's complete righteousness and his merciful character. So that's where we, we need to start. 
That's why our prayers begin with God. That's Jesus taught us to pray. Remember how Jesus taught us how to pray? The Lord's Prayer. Where do we start? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And it goes on. But before you get to forgive us of our sins, before the awareness of our sins, there's an awareness of God the Father. And that's where we need to begin when we go to pray. When we apprehend the holiness of God, it will result in the confession of our sin. And Daniel, he has confession for sin, and he confesses sin before God, even on behalf of his people. Look at at verse 6 and following. This is what he says. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to all Israel, to those who are near and those who are far away, to all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. And it goes on. Daniel confesses not only the reality of his own sin, because we know he's confessing his own sin. Verse 20, it says he's confessing his own sin, but he's confessing the sins of his people. He carried a burden for something that he didn't do. He he feels a responsibility for his people. And the spirit of our age says to only think about yourself. Only be responsible for yourself. But being self-focused is not what Christ displayed for us. Now, I'm not saying that we take on the guilt of the sin of others or their suffering. What I am saying is we often go and tell people, uh, lay your burdens at the cross. But we rarely feel the responsibility to help them carry the burden. And Daniel's carrying the burden in prayer. We can get swept up in our own suffering and our own needs. Why did we spend some time this morning praying for the saints in other places? Because we are most aware of the things that are going on with us and the things that are going on with saints are far worse than the challenges that we're experiencing right now. And we can be lifting them up. But not just some of the burdens that they carry. As we look around, we can carry the burdens of, of, of the challenge that others have sinned against the Lord. So we need to throw ourselves at the mercy of God. The answer to our sin is to remember God's grace, to confess our sin before him, but throw, us at, throw ourselves at his feet. We need to be aware of of our deficiencies for sure, but we need to be most aware of his sufficiencies. Because it says to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. That's where we go. 
pondering God's grace will change the way that you pray and the way that you confess. You'll be more passionate. Be in awe of God. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Our, our, our grief or our conviction, it's not, it's not just like somebody caught us in the act. Maybe you were there in your younger years. You know, you dipped your hand in the cookie jar at grandma's house, and before you got your hand out, grandma caught you, and you went, oh, I'm sorry, grandma. It was an accident. That wasn't godly grief. You got caught. But what the scripture calls us to is just an awareness of the difference between our sinfulness and his holiness. And it should give us to a place of, Lord, what can we do? It should cause us not to make excuses for our sin. No one likes to feel that. I don't like to feel conviction. In fact, I prefer to, if I feel that, I prefer to blame it on someone else because it's a lot easier to blame it on somebody else. But when that conviction comes, embrace that conviction. Why would we do that? Because when we embrace the conviction, when we see our sinfulness in light of God's holiness, that's where we meet mercy. Because it says, He's the Lord our God, and to him belong mercy and forgiveness. So when you see your sin for what it is and you come before him, you can know he's the God of mercy and forgiveness. You're not meant to stay there. You're meant to go to him and experiencing the cleansing power that comes through confession. Be specific in your confession. Be laid bare before God because he's a God of mercy and forgiveness. He's not just sitting up there ready to just lay the hammer down on you. He's already laid the hammer down on Christ. Dwell in the magnitude of your forgiveness instead of dwelling in your sin. Receive that forgiveness. You don't need to go and have penance. We don't need to go and get atonement for our sins every single time. No, that atonement has happened. Jesus died once for all. But don't just stop for yourself. Come before the Lord on behalf of others. When you notice a brother or sister in sin, do you gossip about it? Do you complain about it or do you go to prayer about it? When sinned against, do you go to prayer about it? That's kind of the relationships that you might have for one another, but also as we even think about our church or even our nation, are you aware? And I I know you are. We've sinned as a nation. That's no secret. That's no secret in our history. That's no secret in our far history, in our recent history. That's no secret in the current place. But what we, what we need is not complaining. What we need is repentance and humility and prayer. I think God is giving us an opportunity to own it and repent of it. So let's pray like Daniel prayed. Let's not look at 
others in our society and go, well, they're the sinners. I'm a saint. I'm going to distance myself from them. Friends, the only thing between you and them is what Jesus has done and your awareness of what Jesus has done. If you hadn't come to faith in Christ, you'd be in the place that they are in. So let's come to God on behalf of them and us. God, forgive us. Forgive them. Have mercy on them. Even Jesus looks at the shoulder. They don't know what they're doing. So let's pray like Daniel. Let's humbly confess our own sins, but then come before God for the sins of others, that he would come and he would bring, bring conviction and salvation for the lost and change, change the trajectory. But we need God. So Daniel prayed for his people. The third lesson that we learn, Daniel appealed to God's character. He didn't appeal because he was awesome. He appealed to God based on his character. Look at verses 16 to 19. We're going to read them. It says, he prays, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from the city of Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. They were kind of nothing. Like this people, they're nothing. Now, therefore, oh, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy for your own sake, Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. So he's praying, God, do this for your sake, not for mine. Do this for your glory, not my glory. And he goes on and he says, oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Look at how honest and open that prayer is. How many times have you prayed that? God, do you see? See what's going on. See what's going on in my life. See the hurt and the pain. See the things that are causing me to be discouraged. He's saying, see it. And then he says, for we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy. He's not making an appeal because he's awesome. He's making an appeal because God is awesome. He's not making an appeal. God, I, I did all these things for you, so please do this. No, he doesn't look at any of that. He says, God, because you're merciful, please, please carry out your character and act in mercy. Oh Lord, hear, he says in verse 19. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, pay attention and act. Do not delay. Uh, delay not for your own sake. We make our appeal based on God's mercy. Our appeal, your prayers, are not rooted in your commitment to obey. I work really hard to do the things God calls me to do. Therefore, God's going to answer my prayer. Why is that not going to work? Because we fail. Because we make mistakes. Because we sin. It can't be based on even my desire. It certainly isn't based on my efforts because I fail. I sin. I have to ask for forgiveness again. 
to friends or family members, certainly to the Lord. Our petition has to be rooted in God's righteousness. And we need to know we can draw near because of what Jesus has done. We can draw near because we have a high priest. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We come because of his righteousness. Our only hope and our only answer is because of his mercy. So we pray, God, do this for your glory, not my glory. And be specific. God, do this for your glory. You will be glorified if you forgive this. God, come meet these people because it'll bring glory. It'll show your power. It'll show your faithfulness. It'll show this. Ask God, be specific. And, and if you're in a place where, like, well, what happens when I stop praying? What happens when I'm I'm discouraged. I want to pray these things. Here's the reality, friends. Jesus intercedes for you. Even when you get to the place where you might be discouraged or feel no hope, your Savior intercedes for you. He's speaking for you right now. As we go to pray, You don't have to pray based on your effort, your attitude, your emotional state. The answer to your prayer is not dependent on your emotional state. I don't know about you, but my emotional state isn't awesome every day when I get out of bed. But when I go to pray, I kind of have to work myself into that place, sing songs to get to that place because I'm just not there. But I'm not going based on me. I'm going based on him and what Christ has done. So know that promise. Appeal to God's character. In lesson number four, Daniel's prayer was heard. So as he went to pray, this long prayer, his prayer was heard. Look at verse 20 and following. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, The man, Gabriel, we learned about him last week, angel, when he shows up, everyone falls on their faces, but he says, don't worship me, worship God. So the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He came swiftly. He's crying out and God sends his agent swiftly. Not, oh, you know what? Take a line, you know, when you're going to get your license plate, right? You take a ticket. Now we take a ticket online and come back next year, right? It's not like that. Came's, comes immediately. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. At the beginning. So at the beginning, 
So before he's done, it wasn't like he prayed and when he was all done praying, oh, you know what? We should respond to that. At the beginning of his prayer, it's heard. And I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. God hears Daniel's prayer immediately. And you need to know when you pray, your words are heard instantly. Your prayers are heard instantly. The answer may not come instantly, but it's heard instantly. And there's a response to your prayers instantly. Even in this situation, as we come to the end of this chapter, the story doesn't end with Daniel prayed, God's people were delivered, everyone went back home happy ever after. No, the, the chapter's going to end with the hope of what's going to be done, not what's going to be done tomorrow. Because there's a reality. Daniel didn't go back home to his homeland. And even when God's people went back to their homeland, they still experienced trial and turmoil in days to come. but the prayer was heard instantly. And you may be like, well, I know that God's working. Well, I know that he hears, but nothing's happening, so that must mean he doesn't love me. And I mean, I'm praying that my child would turn and they're not, and God must not love me. Or I'm seeing this hurt that's been going on that I've been praying for for years, and God's not doing anything. That must mean he doesn't love me. Daniel, this guy who experienced near-death situations, and he saw God deliver him. He saw God deliver his friends. God gave him insights into dreams that other people had and insights into dreams that he had. And what did he need? He needed a reminder. Look, look at your Bibles. In verse 23, and at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. You are loved. You are greatly loved. That's not just a, a, a nice saying that we, we use at the end of our time together. We say it because it's true. And you need to look no further than the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ to know that you are loved. We don't look at our circumstances to determine if we are loved because we don't know when God is going to answer that prayer. Sometimes it is tomorrow that he answers that prayer, but he doesn't answer that prayer. It just, okay, well, because you did something good, obviously. But we need to know when we're waiting for the answer, you need to know that you're loved. Romans 5 says this, verses 6 to 8. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Whenever you're at that place where you're tempted to think, well, God, 
God doesn't love me. The perfect one, Jesus, went to the cross and died for you. No one could give a greater gift than to die for another. And Jesus did far more than dying a physical death for you. He took on himself the full and complete wrath of God. And you can know that when you came to him on the day of salvation and you asked for the forgiveness of your sins, it was covered because he loved you. God hears because of what Christ has done. And we need to be reminded that we are loved because of what Christ did. That doesn't mean we don't sit with our friends when it's hard. We don't just pithily say, well, Jesus died for you. You're fine. No, we're going to walk with them. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to pray for one another. But you need to know whenever you're in that place, when you think God doesn't love me. Oh, yes, he does. Now, lesson number five. Briefly, Daniel was given the hope of ultimate deliverance. If we were to read through verses 24, 25, 26, and 27, uh, as we were, if we would read through all that, we'd be like, that doesn't all kind of make sense or fit together. What does all this mean? And these verses have, may have one fulfillment in a particular point in time in history. They may have multiple fulfillments. But here's an, uh, an encouraging thing that I read from one commentator. He said this, an eminent scholar. So this commentator is talking this smart guy is talking about another smart guy that's smarter than him, okay? An eminent scholar who, with great humility and charity, wrote that this famous vision has led to such endless controversies that any interpretation no longer admits of any certainty. Smarter people than the smarter people can't fully figure it out, so we just need to rest in that. So even if the best mind struggled to explain this passage. I'm not embarrassed to admit that I can't fully figure it out myself. But here's what I do know. Again, remember, as we go to apocalyptic literature, as we go to prophecies, the thing we want to look for is not what we can't figure out, but the things that are plain that we can. And here's the reality. God showed Daniel what he intended to do. And he intended to deliver his people It says in verse 24 that he was going to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. As Daniel prayed, he's just thinking, I want my people to get back to their homeland. That's what I want. That's where I think it is. That's where we're going to meet with God. But God, God shows him something that's far more significant than them getting back to their homeland. He's going to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness. There's going to be no more struggle with sin. And and in verse 25, it's coming of an anointed one. There's one who's going to come and suffer for his people. And we know that's to be Jesus. And then in verse 26, it says, the anointed one shall be cut off. That would have been hard. Wait a minute, you have an anointed one that's come? Yeah, Jesus came and his people rejected him. Why? He had to be 
broken for our brokenness. And God himself enters our world to put an end to sin and bring about everlasting righteousness. And in verse 27, it says, until decreed, the decreed end, suffering and trial will come to an end. So there's so much here. The main point is not to create debates about what are the names and dates and where does this fit in and how what's going on? No, that's not the main point. The main point is to encourage God's people who are in the midst of captivity. Again, even if we took some time this week as we go to pray to just ponder 70 years, many of us have walked through trials and we think we're at the end of our rope, but 70 years So this message is coming with the hope that it's all going to be taken care of, that an end is coming and it's certain. Yes, I'm going to answer, God says. It's absolutely certain and it's going to be more complete and more lasting than you ever imagined it would be. I'm going to answer it far beyond what you even asked or imagined. So for you're here this morning and you've never you never trusted in Christ, you need to hear about the mercy of God. You can be united with God because of his son if you repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Your eureka moment needs to be today because today could be the day of salvation. Whether you're here in this room, whether you're watching from home, what you need to hear is Christ has come. And he's gone, he's he's with the Father right now, but he's coming back to change everything. And you can live with him for eternity if you would repent and believe in him. Now, the eureka moment doesn't necessarily mean that everything is gonna be smooth. Just because you find it doesn't mean that life just kind of settles out. Jesus said to take up your cross and follow him. That's the call. But the call to follow him comes with the promise that we will be with him just finished in my Bible reading Revelation. Man, it's going to be great. It's going to be so great. And we're looking to that day. As we close, I just want to share with you a brief story about a woman named named Judy Howard Peterson. She completed an internship by walking 4,000 miles across the United States. Those are the right right mile markers, 4,000 miles walked across the United States. She began her walk across America carrying an eight-pound backpack. She said she was convinced by the end of the second day that she never would make it and wanted to quit. Her legs felt like rubber. Her feet were covered with painful blisters. So this is just day two. Just when she didn't think she could walk any farther, a woman driving by stopped her van. She offered to carry Peterson's pack to her next stopping point. She just said, I'll take it for you. That's what Peterson said. It was a lesson rich with meaning. Physically, the woman in the car took a burden that she did not create. She was not responsible for the burden or the predicament, but chose to share the burden for the sake of another's journey. And Daniel shows us something very similar. Those 
who have been spared the burden of sin by the grace of God are responsible to help carry the spiritual burdens of others. Even though we may not have created the burden or caused the predicament, we involve ourselves in the lives and confessions of others to help them on their faith journey. We learn all these truths to do something with them. I want to encourage you, even this week, I know we're going to be focusing on thankfulness and thanksgiving, but I know there's going to be burdens. I know there are burdens on your mind. Burdens for you, burdens about others. Let's take some time in Daniel that we didn't have time to review today, but look at all the things about God there. Look at the specificity of the confession that's there. Let conviction come. Let confession come. See his mercy. Embrace his forgiveness. Embrace the burden of others and seek God on their behalf. Know that he hears you. Know that you are greatly loved. Know that ultimate deliverance is going to come. And we place our hope in that. Not in our present circumstances, but in what he has promised as he's revealed to us in his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, we flew over the top of a prayer that was deep and full of details. Lord, I ask that you'd slow us down, even slow us down right now. Lord, the, the busyness of life can overtake us and we can, we can run on to the next item that we feel like we have to do. And we start to do things in our own strength, God, and I pray that you'd help us not to do anything in our own strength. I pray, Father, that you would remind us through your word, help encourage us to encourage one another with your word so that we can be reminded of the promises, the promises made in the past that make make all the difference in the present and point us to the future. I pray, God, that we would hold on to that and that we would carry the burdens of others, Lord. Not because we did it, but because you want to receive glory for displaying your mercy and your forgiveness. So pray, I pray, Lord, that you change the way that we pray. Show us who you are, that you'd be glorified. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.